Welcome, Abundant Babe. I have been waiting for you. And I get the feeling I know you pretty well already. Because like me, you are the visionary, the eternal optimist, the one who embraces all aspects of her divine feminine while being grounded with ambitious and driven energy. You've got big dreams and you're ready to make it all happen. Well, let me tell you, soul sister, you've come to the right place. The Abundant Babe podcast is designed for goddesses just like you. We will talk about purposeful business, personal growth, mindset, money, manifestation, success, goals, all with a splash of spirituality and a tad of silliness. I know you've got it in you and now is the time, beautiful. Trust in yourself and take action on what myself and other abundant babes share in the sacred space. And believe me, babe, your life will continue to change and expand. I'm your host, Viola Hug, multi-passionate entrepreneur, mentor, and coach. And my purpose is to help visionaries manifest everything they want through alignment, spirituality, and tangible strategy. It is so great to have you here. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the Abundant Babes podcast. This is your host, Viola, of course, haven't changed. And I'm here for an episode that I already know is going to be fire. I'm like so freaking excited about this because Shannon and I met on her podcast, officially met on her podcast, and she is amazing, but we can talk more about that later. But I am so excited to introduce Shannon Wooten to the podcast. Hello, Shannon. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. So Shannon is a mindset coach for visionary entrepreneurs. So she's basically like cut out perfect to be on this show. And she is really like a blazing the trail for, to wealth and intimacy. And she's got a really awesome story, which we're going to dive into, of course. And in addition to doing um, coaching as well, to help people on their path of authenticity and self-acceptance. She's also an infertility survivor and advocate, and she's just released a new book called Infertility Sex You Don't. So I'm super excited to be talking about that as well. But Shannon, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. And like, can, can we like, can you share your perspective of your story a little bit more? Like, let's get to know you a little bit more intimately. Yikes. Okay. Well, first of all, your energy is amazing. So thanks for that. I receive it. It's beautiful. Um, And yeah, thanks for all the love. It's so amazing. My story. Wow. Um, Viola and I were like talking before she pressed record and I was like, this could take eight hours, Um, (laughs) possibly even more. But my story is, you know, I am, I don't want to say it. You know, I always feel like when people say, oh, I'm just a girl, right? Like (laughs) we're just not just anything, but yeah, I'm just a girl from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the um, middle child of two brothers and a family child. of five. <laughs> yes, middle child. I'm also a redhead who dyes her hair blonde. So a lot of people are always like, wow, that makes so much sense when I tell them I'm a redhead. Um, <laughs> an undercover redhead, I guess. I can't even imagine that. I need to go stalk some photos. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, you go ahead. Please feel free to do so. Uh, but yeah, I grew up in um, Pittsburgh and um, grew up suburbs and, you know, I would say had a quote unquote regular life, went to school and was always kind of like the free spirited child who really just was like, look, don't put me in a box. Uh-huh. 
not maybe more of like a recommendation and not more as like a rule was like, I thought that that was up for debate. So, um, I've always been kind of the person that marched to the beat of her own drum so much so that one of the neighbors in our neighborhood actually gave my dad a book, uh, called how to raise and how to tame your free spirited child (laughs) for which my parents promptly returned. Um, thanks for that advice, by the way. person. Oh my gosh. And, And yeah, I kind of, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, the balls on people. I admire it, right? I admire the audacity of some people. It's, it's really quite inspiring because she wasn't afraid to just be like, Hey, here's what I think. And my parents were like, yeah, actually we don't give a shit, but thanks for offering. Um, and I, I was, I've been in theater and singing and voice and tap and, um, you know, dance and gymnastics my whole life, just been a very creative soul. And so when it came time to kind of like graduate college, I was like, yeah, thanks. Not for me. And my parents were like, no, you, this is not an option. Like you have to go. Mm-hmm. So I went and like hated it the whole time until about my sophomore year when I was in a communications class and my professor was like, I see something in you. Like, I mm-hmm. think that, you know, you're, you're a people person. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't even know what that means. And he was like, you care about people. You care about the intricacies of people. And so from there I became a theater slash communications major, mm-hmm. um, um, who went on to get a master's degree as a child who never wanted to go to school, mind you. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, the oxymoron. Went to get my master's degree in communications and um, really just wanted to dive into the world of potentially teaching until I got um, a job working for Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And that was awesome. And I traveled the world and I just was like, again, this very free spirited person of like, I'm I'm going to do life my way and never wanted to get married, never wanted to have any kids. Um, until one day I met a man that kind of rocked that whole vision for me. Ooh. And fast forwarding a few years, we ended up getting married um, after a very, we're both Gemini. So for any of you <laughs> that are into astrology and numerology, that was a little fiery relationship there at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when we got married, I, the, I got married because I was like, I can be married to you, right? I didn't want to be. And, I, and it's funny, I always say that to my husband now. I'm like, he's like, we're celebrating six years of being married. And I'm like, that's, I could care less. <laughs> because I, I love him. I just never needed it. And in fact, when we were, um, you know, he, want, he said to me, I want to be married. I broke up with him. Wow. Because I just was like, look, you want to change me. And he was like, no, I want to marry you. I want to love you forever. And I was like, why can't you love me without being married? And I had a really good friend that was like, so let me get this straight. You want to be with him, but you don't want to be married to him. So you're willing to forego him, which is the thing that you want in spite of marriage. Now, for those of you listening, my parents are like high school sweethearts. They've been married a hundred years. I don't have any like broken family trauma or anything like that. I just fucking didn't want it. I was like, I don't want to be Mrs. Someone else. Mm-hmm. I want it to be Mrs. Me. Yeah. And so I had some, obviously some stuff to work through being married to someone else and losing my identity. Mm-hmm. And I acquiesced because I was like, look, I want you. And if you want the marriage, then there's going to be give and take in marriages. So this will be a moment where I give and take. Uh And, um, we've been together for 12 years. He understands, you know, the charm and the complexity that is all things me. Uh And as I said earlier, I never wanted to have kids either. And so the longer we were together, um, the, the more that that kind of changed and mm-hmm. over time and, and subliminally, right? Like I wasn't yeah. sharing that with him. It was like, okay, well now that I'm married to you, I guess I'd have kids with you. 
I'd have a baby with you. And so about six Mm -hmm. months into being married, I was like, I was all about it, right? Like the idea of seeing what he and I could create, what they would look like, who they would be, how we would shape them and give them liberties into just being who the fuck they wanted to be. And so even, you know, when I got married, I was 29. Even when I got married was even, you know, a factor. It just never occurred to me. I honestly never heard of it before. Um, and so at about six months into it, when we started trying, I had this weird intuitive nudge, intuitive hit, if you will, if you're somebody that believes in, in, in that, um, I had it and I instantly went to a doctor and I started to explain to them about my history of periods. Cause when you go to an infertility doctor, that's one of the things that they'll ask you like, well, how are your periods? Are they frequent? Are they infrequent? Are they painful? Whatever. And I was like, yeah, my periods are solid to the day, but extremely excruciating. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, the doctor, just from my verbal explanation, um, was able to say, I, I believe you suffer from endometriosis. Mm. The only way to really diagnose that is to have laparoscopic surgery. So um, I had I had been diagnosed with endometriosis. I just want to clarify. When I was 15 years old, I honestly didn't know what it meant. No one mm-hmm. had explained it to me. I just thought this is what makes my periods hellacious. Got it. Moving on. Uh-huh. No one had ever said that it would or could impede my process of having children. Um, yeah. But after the surgery, I did learn that I had um, polycystic ovaries and stage four endometriosis, which is severe. And from that period on, um, from that day, the diagnosis, which occurred on, um, I think my surgery was on July 8th. I remember that date. Um, from there on became a battle that I not only waged with infertility, but changed the way I saw myself, changed my life, um, changed my relationships, almost ruined my marriage and, um, really almost ruined myself. Wow. Oh, that is intense. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like shook because it's like, it's so interesting as well how you say, because I totally know what it's like to meet someone and change your mind about things because yes. um, I, I think like deep down, I probably would have always been someone who would have wanted to get married and have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was like in the times before I'd met my now husband, I... I was like, I don't know, I was like kind of rebellious. And like, for me, I'd I'd seen it more off of my parents because my parents actually didn't want to get married for the same reason that you said, like, why do you need to be married to prove you love someone? It just doesn't make sense. And my dad was always just like, it's just the government. They want to track you and like, you know, all these things. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so, yeah, so my parents like refused to get married until when I was seven and um, like, because my parents are like massive travelers and they're originally from Germany, but they were wanting to live in Canada. And, um, my mom got given, um, or residency, but my dad didn't. And so they thought if they got married, it would be easier, which spoiler alert, it wasn't easier, but, um, that was like the only reason they got married, you know? So marriage to me was like, and they've been together since they were like teenagers as well. It's not like they weren't in it for the long haul. It's just, they, just didn't want to get married. And then that kind of rubbed off on me a little bit. And then I was also going through like my, like kind of like annoying age where I was just like, Oh, kids are so annoying. And I like always had that kind of mindset. 
So it's like, I don't know if I want kids. They're just so annoying. Like, yes. why can't they like talk properly? Like, <laughs> why do they always have like icky hands yeah. in their nose? Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. And then when I, it was so funny though, because when I, um, met Nick and he asked me if I wanted to get married and I already was kind of like feeling my energy change, but I was just saying what I'd always been telling myself. And I was just like, nah, I just don't really see a reason. Like, why would you need to get married to like prove you love someone? Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then he like kind of went all weird because he really valued, well, he, he kind of was in two, two minds as well. Cause he was also like, I want to be a playboy because he was like a pilot and he could imagine himself like having like girlfriends in all different cities around the world. But then... <laughs> I know which anyone who knows him like dies laughing because it's just like so hilarious Uh, um yeah and then but then he kind of like I think it's also because he like knew he loved me already so he was kind of just like oh but then like every day that I spent with him I was just like actually you know what I would totally marry you and then I was like I would have a hundred babies with you yeah right yeah and then suddenly like I like I can't even imagine like I'm shook by that story because obviously a lot of people actually go through that but it's just it's one of those things that's like you don't really until I think you want to have kids you don't even know how much you want to have kids and like a lot of the listeners and I know you know as well like I recently went through miscarriage and even though I knew I wanted to have kids with Nick like it was on our kind of plan it was also like we just love it being the two of us you know we're always just like oh it's just so nice just the two of us just do what we want and then when we found out we were pregnant it was just like everything changed and then suddenly I knew how much I wanted kids yeah and then it's just like yeah it's I can't even imagine like you are so strong like I'd love for you to share a little bit more like and I know that this is obviously a lot what you share in your book um but it's like share like how that transition for you because obviously now you're just like um, so powerful in your standpoint of being an infertility survivor and being an advocate for other women. Like tell me more about that side of it. So first I want to say I'm sorry that happened to you mm-hmm. and um, that I, I think that your willingness and your courage and your bravery to share so openly about your own story is something that many women value and appreciate even if you don't know it now. So thank mm-hmm. you for Thank you for that. Mm, thank you too. Yeah. Um, sure. So it's funny. I was talking to my husband about this the, um, the other night. I've, I've received a lot of great feedback from the book and I'm so honored and I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. And every single time I have this, like, I call it like a conniption fit where I like break down crying. Cause I'm like, and then they said this and it just <laughs> means so much to me. And yeah. it, it really it, like reaches into my heart every single time I hear from a person and like plants roots. And it's like, uh-huh. yes, like, you're the reason you're the reason, right. Um, for that connection, for that understanding, similar mm-hmm. to what we were talking about you sharing. So people mm-hmm. know, like you don't have to feel alone. So, yeah. um, it's important that we, we own our voice and we own our story, certainly with whatever makes us feel comfortable, of course. Mm-hmm. But, um, so yeah, look, my, my, my stand on this, and I do talk about this in the book is I believe there are multitudes of layers and factors about why this is such a jarring experience, whether you struggle from infertility and you know, you cannot biologically have your own child naturally, or you experience a miscarriage or you struggle from secondary infertility, or you just want to have a child period, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you are a same sex partner and you're like, I still want to have a child and now we're faced with this too. So whatever it is, I believe that one of the things that becomes so jarring about it is because when we decide to do something, it's not an as if it is already, it is period. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So our brains latch onto it and go, oh, this is a reality. Mm-hmm. This has happened. Here's how, and then we craft scenarios, right? Here's how it's going to feel when I see the ultrasound and the heart, hear the heartbeat and, mm-hmm. you know, feel my belly start to expand and, you know, I don't know, have morning sickness. Like even the, the, this is not glamorous part of it. Yeah. Or when I see the child's face for the first time, or, you know, when I receive, even with adoption, like the paperwork, the, it's the promise of it yeah. that we, we allow to take up real estate in our lives. And then like, I don't know about you guys listening or you personally, Viola, but like, I am a ferocious beast about my family and about my friends. If you fuck mm-hmm. with my friends, I'm the Tasmanian devil. Like I can't <laughs> even explain to you what happens. It's just like this protective nature about me. Uh-huh. And so I feel similarly, that's what happens to possibility in our brains. We become fierce in the pursuit of it. Yeah. We become fierce about it. We love it as if it already is. Mm-hmm. And we imagine who we are with it and who we will become because of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes and not a as if it becomes an it is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like that's it, it's done. But in the transition of, you know, unfortunate circumstance, right? Like the adoption falls through, the the baby is lost or passed, right? Mm -hmm. Or we realize or have to come to terms with the fact that we will never be able to carry our own child Mm-hmm. there's a lot of, a lot, like when I say a lot, I mean like, holy hell, hold on to your butts a lot mm-hmm. that has to go on internally in our mindset to find acceptance. Yeah. And like, I'm starting, as you mentioned in my book, like I talk about that, the first part, the very begin beginning, and then the meat and potatoes is the process to the acceptance. But then with acceptance, which I talk about at the very end, and I was talking to my husband about this, bringing it full circle this week is I, when I think people expect that I, at the end of the book, I'm going to come to this place where it's like, and you know what? I don't even want it anymore. It's like totally fine. It's yeah. fine. I don't even want it anymore. It's like back to where I was, back to where I was. Like it's uh-huh. totally great. And that's not true. And I say that in my book, I'm sorry if this disappoints you, but if somebody says to me or has asked me or will ask me in the future, would you want everything to go exactly this way? My answer would be no. No, I wouldn't want things to go this way. Yes, I will always. And I'm sure until the day I die, and I know that's a grandstanding statement, but I believe it to be true. To the day I die, I will always want to know what our child looks like. I will mm-hmm. always want to know what it would what it would like and what it wouldn't and is it very cerebral or very artistic and creative is it outspoken like me god forbid or you know <laughs> very reserved you know and I say that in jest obviously but I will never not want that yeah and so it's not acceptance doesn't mean I avoid or I abandon that it is part of me right that it's mm-hmm. not that I give up the possibility or the potentiality for it. It's that Mm -hmm. I decide that if I can find acceptance in existing and living and thriving and loving and celebration and receiving life without this thing. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to mean that I abandon the fervor and the love for it. Yeah. And I won't. Yeah. 
oh my gosh, I'm just like silently crying over here. So <laughs> I want to hug you. I'm hugging you and I'm, I'm, I'm just you. giving you so many hugs. I'm hugging you. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so much power in that. And just like, because naturally you're freaking human. Like there would have been a time when you didn't really look at the situation. Well, I imagine, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can imagine there was a time when you didn't look at it from the perspective that you can see it now. Oh Lord have mercy. No. Like I always say to people when people would say to me, you know, God will bless you when the time is right. Mentally, I was throat punching you. Mentally. (laughs) I was like, boom, like right in your face. Like shut the fuck up. You don't know how the fuck I feel. And yeah, that's why I say the meat and potatoes of the book is all that, the, the path, the journey, the, the knowing and the mindset work and the forgiveness and the responsibility and the accountability. There's so much work that has to be done in between. I know what I want and the acceptance of, I may not be able to get it, but that doesn't mean I have to abandon the fact that I wanted it. And I still do. Yeah. There's so much work in between those, those two places. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think like even this topic, like it's such a powerful thing. Like you said, it's like, there's so many different things, like whether you are in the state of wanting a child or you've miscarried or you're infertile or it's adoption or it's same sex, or even I think in other areas of life, this is a huge thing because um, acceptance, it's just like the same thing that I talk about with my, um, with losing my dad. Right. So when I was 16, my dad passed away and I went through some like really dark and heavy times after that, just basically all brought on myself, but you know, like I wasn't right in my head and I was just doing silly things. And, um, then when it, when things finally started to turn around and I could finally feel purpose, um, and I could finally feel passion again, it was all because of what I'd been through. It was because I lost my dad and I, I write because I'm writing my book right now as well, as you know, Yay! <laughs> I know I'm so excited to be book buddies with you soon. Yes, so excited to. soon. Yeah. No, I, th- I think like very soon. But anyway, um, I wrote in there and I wrote like, um, that it's like, I, that what could have been a passion that stayed dormant in me for so long. Like it sped Mm -hmm. up the process. The fact that I went through that, that it was able to ignite this passion in me and that I was able to, to turn it into a good thing in my life. And I was able to see a silver lining. But if so, like if someone were to say to me like, Oh, so you're like, you know, you would have it happen the same way again. I'm just like, well, no, I, want my dad to be alive like it's been 14 years and I still cry sometimes when I think about the fact I can't see him because I still sometimes Mm. go about my day and forget that he's dead like it still happens oh gosh and 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 that's such a beautiful 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 point because look there are moments when people will say to me like we're pregnant and it's like it hits me like a bullet and it's just like it, it takes me off guard because it's like, whoa, you've worked this process and, you know, you've gone through all these steps. And I think that that's the misnomer. I think yeah. that that's the confusing part about acceptance. And I also write about this in the book, like acceptance isn't like I'm happy and everything's wonderful. No, acceptance is the springboard to happiness. Uh-huh. That's what gives you the gateway to feel it and, and allow it to be again. It doesn't take all of the, the moments that you have in your life where you cry because you're like, why, why do I have to have this struggle? Right? Uh Like there are, there are definitely moments where I'll sit in the shower, you know, when I have my period and, and my, my cramps are just raging and I just will that month, 
I, I can't take it. And my mindset is just like, why me? Like, why? Why was this given to me? And then there are other months where it's like, get it up and keep it going, girl, right? Yeah. It's a beautiful harmony of allowing yourself to be human and to take notice of those moments where it does hit you like a bullet yeah. and then go, okay, so what was it about that? Where, what, where am I at in my life right now? Who am I being about my life right now? It is hardly ever and I truly believe this, it is hardly ever just that particular struggle. It is hardly ever just that particular circumstance or thing that causes us to go into a tailspin and circle the toilet bowl for a little while feeling, you know, woe is me, a victim behavior. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I talk about this um, in the book about, you know, realizing that this is a, a re- repetitive behavioral pattern that has occurred in my life where I have encountered challenge and circumstance and I made it about me, mm. right? With, with the struggle with infertility, there were several things that happened to me in the process. It wasn't just that I couldn't have a baby, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't just all about that. It became this disassociation from my femininity as well. Right, yeah. It became this association from my sexuality and my sensuality and my place in this world and my value and my worth. And it was like, whoa, this thing is just tearing me apart. And that's what I thought for such a long time. And it was like, no, 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 no. It was never just this thing. This thing was the light in your life to show you that this is your pattern. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I hope you guys are listening are hearing this right now because I think as well, like another really powerful thing that you said in there, which is, I mean, along the same lines, but it's also like how you were asking yourself those prompting questions. It's like so powerful to get to a space of self-awareness where you can equally allow yourself to feel it, right? Like equally allow yourself to go through it, but also not leave yourself there. Like don't leave yourself in the mess. Yes. <laughs> and um. And I think this is such a huge topic because I know, like, for example, I like, you know, often refer to myself as the eternal optimist and I am generally so positive and so uplifted. Um, But the, the hardest time in my life was actually when I thought I had to always be that way. And I thought being positive meant that I had to be only see the good in bad situations that were happening. That's what I thought it was. I thought it was like, oh, something bad happens. It's okay. It's going to get better. And, you know, like keep only looking at that side when that, like, that was a huge wake up moment for me. And I remember like walking on a walk, I was on a walk with one of my friends and I was kind of having this realization as we were walking and talking and I was just walking and crying because one, I was realizing that I'd been creating a shit show for myself because the fact that I was ignoring the negative, quote unquote, negative things in my life. Uh, and I was mm-hmm. trying to always mask them with positivity. I wasn't a positive experience. I was masking it with positivity meant that I was never really dealing with them. I was never really healing them. So they were just self-perpetuating in my life and coming back 10 times stronger every time. And then yeah. equally, I was crying at the relief that I was allowed to admit that things were hard. Mm-hmm. And that is like, like, anyone listening, you're allowed to not be okay sometimes. Yeah. It's, and it's, yeah, I've had so many, um, women come to me and ask me like my friend's having a baby shower and I just don't think I can go. And I'm like, so don't go. Yeah. Like, well, what does that, what does that say about me? And what does that mean? And I'm like, I don't know. What are you making it mean? Well, I don't care about her. I don't care about the baby. And I'm like, well, no, that's not, that's, that's only true if you allow it to be true. But 
are you allowing her to share in this moment with you that's difficult? Are you, are you welcoming her in to say, I cannot go to your baby shower because I feel like I am emotionally unstable right now and I don't want to cry through your 87th bag of pampers and I don't want to make it about me. I want it to be about you and coming from a place of friendship and love. That's where my heart is. It's about you and this is a beautiful time and I'm making it about me and I can't actually be present to not do it on that day. So I want you to hear me in this and knowing that I'm not not going because I don't love you. I'm not going because I love you and I know I have a lot more work I need to do around this. Mm. And that applies in all instances, right? Where wherever we feel challenged by something and allowing ourselves to know where we're kind of teetering on the edge, right? Like I'm making this about me. Like I said about infertility, I was making it all about me. It was Mm -hmm. all about me. And at, at the heart of it, it it's really because it was a pattern. It was something I wasn't allowing myself to feel either. If I'm, if I'm hurt and I'm crying or I'm non-responsive to people and I tell them what's going on, but I'm also a burden and I'm weak and on mm-hmm. top of it, oh yeah, I'm a motherless person who can't have a child because her body is defective and her husband is unhappy and she can't make her parents, grandparents and her brother's uncles. And it was this like downward spiral of, whoa, I'm not giving myself any space to meet me where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Oh, my gosh. And can I ask as well, like, um, I'd be really interested to know, like, what was it like from your husband's perspective? Because I think like from my experience with the miscarriage, um, I was like, I'm so grateful that it happened to Nick and I, when we were in a space where we are now, where we're a lot more emotionally intelligent than we once were, because, um, we could communicate so beautifully. And it was an experience that actually brought us together closer, which for anyone who knows us in our relationship is like, what closer? Yes, closer. And <laughs> it was like, you know, it was just like, oh, such, such an incredible experience for that. You know, like there was so much beauty in the experience, but um, it was so interesting, like how I'm um, holding space for him to feel his feelings as well, because um, it, was at, it was equally hard for him. In my, yeah. in my opinion, you know, and I'd be interested to hear what that was like for, for your husband. Oh, so my husband wrote the foreword of my book. Mm-hmm. And um, when I read it about, I don't, I don't know, my book was published on the 24th. I think he, my husband operates this way. Um, for all the generators out there, I'm sure this is going to make sense as far as human design is concerned. But yeah. he, he sent me the foreword to the, to the book like three days prior to make going publish. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm hounding him and asking him. And when I read it, it made me, it just, it made me cry. Uh-huh. It just, it just, it was beautiful. But, um, because I was able to see it through his eyes, through his perspective, because I told my husband, whatever you write's going in there, I'm not changing any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to, him to have creative Liberty and I wanted him to speak from his perspective because from my perspective, I almost ruined our marriage. Yeah. And, um, because I was making it so much about me, it was about me everywhere. Yeah. And this is the hardest part about struggle is, is taking ownership and accountability for how we're behaving and how we're not behaving. Yeah. And I I was everybody that had a comment, like the person I wanted to throw punch that said, you know, God will bless you when the time is right. They (laughs) were saying that because they didn't know how I was feeling because I wasn't welcoming anybody into the experience with me to let them know, Hey, if I could explain to you how I feel, it's basically like my heart is dying. Mm -hmm. It's dying inside a body that says it still wants to live. So 
and, and, and to me, that's very impactful, but you yeah. know, imagine it how you will in, in, in any struggle. And I've talked to other people with addiction. It's so hard because we can't see beyond like an inch beyond our nose. It's mm-hmm. all about what's going on inside because it's so much turmoil and, and so much shutting off e- of emotion mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and trying to process very in- intense emotions at the same time. So it's just like this incredible oxymoron of, of things going on. And so my husband, you know, being on the journey with me um, because we were not doing IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, we did IUI and, and we also did like postcoitals and we did, you know, sex in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but it got to the point where I was just like throwing myself over the bed and pulling my pants down and saying, you know, just get it over with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and for him, he was just like, do you know how unattractive that is? Do you know how, how you're, it makes me feel like you're using me? Mm-hmm. And you're not inviting me into this experience. Like what's going on? And I'm, I'm like, you know, Hey, I got a job I got to do. I got bills. I got to pay. I'm stabbing myself with drugs, like every freaking day, putting suppositories in my vagina, getting blood drawn from me every day, having ultra uterine, you know, ultrasounds every day. So like, what the fuck do you want from me? Are you going to put a baby in me or not? Right. Yeah. This became my personality. It became very aggressive, very standoffish, very all about me, very selfish. And there was very little place for love, but there was a lot of meltdowns and a Mm -hmm. lot of crying. And unfortunately also thoughts of suicide Mm -hmm. and moments where he just felt, I remember at one point he said to me, I don't know where you are. Mm -hmm. I don't know where you are. I don't know who you are. And he's bawling. And he's like, I, I lost you. I just want my wife back and I don't know how to get to you. And he said, I just wish that you could go back to being, and he went through listing all these things, like the strong, independent woman who was confident, didn't give a fuck, was just like about herself and about her life and about her family and just like getting shit done. And I, out of all of that, out of everything he said, and in the desperation and the hurt and the loneliness and the sadness and the him sharing himself with me, the only thing I said to him was do me a favor. And he said, yes. And I said, don't ever say that to me again, because that girl doesn't live here anymore. Hmm. It became all consuming, all encompassing. And I own in a very serious way that I almost wrecked one of the most valuable, invaluable relationships of my life. Uh-huh. Yeah. Holy moly. That's huge. It's like, I think one of the things that's so powerful about your story as well is hearing the um, transition of who you were going through it and how you can speak about it now and like, you know, call yourself out about it now. And also, for like all of you have to like right now go follow Shannon because her work is like freaking so awesome. Like this, this like ferocious woman that you hear is like, it comes through in her work and her podcast as well with her co-host Olivia, who's also been on the show. Like it's just, Oh, like everything that you're doing is so incredible. And so, you know, like, cause I think like one of the biggest things is it's so hard for people to see that, especially when you're going through hardship, it is like so hard for people to see that anyone else has ever had any sort of struggle that would ever equate to what we what we're going through. 
and um, like pain and everything is subjective. So it's like, what is the worst day for someone could just be like, that's fine. I can deal with that any day, you know, to someone else, but it doesn't make it less real for the person going through it. Like it's, it's you know, like everyone has the right to feel the happiness or the sadness about anything and anything in between, between, right? Like, so that's huge. But I think like, you know, like, it's so hard to imagine that that's how you would respond now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because yeah. And the take home from that is look, there are some people that are going to say some whack ass shit to you going through your struggle. Like I remember one time someone said to me, well, at least you don't have cancer. And I was like, the fuck Like what? in the actual fuck. Like, okay, let's exchange this for something that clearly you determine as being worse. Yeah. And it was a blessing though, right? It was a blessing because it let me know where they were in, mm-hmm. in the conversation. It was a blessing because it let me know how much I wasn't communicating and what they didn't understand about infertility and, and the struggle of it all. Mm-hmm. And it was also a blessing because it, it showed me something. And what it showed me was that there is no better or worse struggle ever yeah. because whoever is going through it, I don't care who you are. And if you hate this, I, you know, peace be with you, but yeah. it, it is very real to the person going through it. Yeah. It is very real, real. And at the heart of it though, and what I, what I wasn't saying to my husband and who I wasn't being in my life and in my relationship was because I couldn't see the love he was trying to give me because I didn't love myself. Yeah. It just wasn't there anymore. It had left me mm-hmm. in my, in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. There just wasn't any room for it because I basically loathed my existence. Yeah. How did that like start turning around? Like where was this, the turning point for you? So gosh, there were so many turning points and there's so many, things that happened during that course of the time. And, yeah. and I hate to be like, go read my book or whatever, but you know, go, me, go read go my read, book. Yeah. Me. Go read the book. Definitely yeah, to, read the book. To in, yeah. To get into the thick of it with me. Um, if, if you resonate with any of this whatsoever, whether your struggles in fertility or something else, um, there were just a lot of behaviors that I was doing, right? Like just to kind of truncate it, I enrolled in an MLM marketing and I, you know, how, sometimes they can say, if you don't want to, um, face something, you become obsessive over something else to try and drown it out. Yeah. So that's what I did. I poured myself into an MLM, you know, business that I really didn't care about. Like I cared, Mm -hmm. I care about people and that was what was driving me, but I didn't care about sales. And in Mm -hmm. order to be in the business, then like you had to sell and you had to grow. And I did, I had a downline and I did the whole thing, but it was more like automatic than really caring about it. I was just kind of going through the, the motions in order to stifle every single thing that I was feeling about infertility. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, you know, disassociating myself from friendships that were like 10 years and running. Um, I wouldn't go out. I I would Mm -hmm. not go out of the house other than to go to work. And, um, but really what the, I know what the catalyst was, was, um, one day I was at home and it was a rainy afternoon and I was just in my pajamas like all day. Mm -hmm. And, I remember just kind of sitting there and I would have these moments where I would kind of black out in, in my depression because I was definitely depressed. I didn't know it at the time, but I definitely was. And, um, 
I, I blacked out and, and I would go into this tailspin of thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking of all the things my life would never be and all the things that I had done to try and make this work. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, just the fact that my, my abdomen was yellow and green and purple and bruised and so painful. And, you know, my arms looked like I had track marks and, you know, mm-hmm. even going to the anesthesiologist to have my blood taken to test my, my levels. Um, remembering her say that, you know, my God, honey, look at your arms. And I'm like, bitch, I live with these fucking arms. I look at them every fucking day. And, you know, just like having this, this typhoon of emotion, just continual on repeat of beating myself down, like bludgeoning Mm -hmm. myself to death with them. And I was stuck in it. And when I came out of it, I was like hyperventilating. Yeah. I was just crying so hard. And my husband came down the steps. Like he's coming down the steps. He's like, what is going on? And I had this thought just pass through my mind the minute he said it and in the crying and in the fit of it all, I thought to myself, I'll go into the kitchen. I'll grab my green Kamaachi knife. I'll drag it across my thigh. I'll sever the artery. And that's how I'll kill myself. Mm. And when I had that thought, like in between realizing that I was already hyperventilating, crying, he's coming down the step asking me what's wrong. Then it like really ramped up because I scared myself. Uh-huh. I scared myself. I thought, Oh my God. And you know, they say like your life passes before your eyes. Like I saw my mom, my dad, my brothers, my husband, and, and I saw them like finding me, right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Finding me like in a pool of my own blood. And it just, it overwhelmed me to the point where I was just like, I, I cannot do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was the moment where I was like, it almost became a, it's a this or it's me. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I, I, I said to my husband, cause it's like, it happened so fast. Right. And I know yeah. it sounds like very dramatic. Like this happened over a course of eight hours. No, it was literally like eight seconds. Yeah. And he is coming towards me and puts his arm on me. And he said, what is going on? Like, are you okay? And I said, I know why people kill themselves. And he just sat down and he started to tear up and he was like, something has to change. Like this cannot go on anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I'm getting all the feels because I had such a similar moment. Like it was a completely different thing, but it wow. was like, what I, cause uh, this is the chapter that I was writing like last, um, over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was writing about like, uh, just like the, the moment when I really kind of like woke up to life and I was like, wait, this is like not the way it's supposed to be going. And, yeah. um, cause I had the same thing, like, and my thing happened in the suit, uh, in the grocery store, I was like literally in the freezer section and I'd open the freezer to get something. And then suddenly like, I was completely like, I didn't know where I was. I couldn't like, and yeah. I like, I didn't know if it was like, if I'd been standing there for minutes, I don't know if it was half a second. Like I literally had no concept of time anymore. And I had the same thought. I was like, why am I grocery shopping? I'm going to kill myself anyway. And, yeah. um, I scared myself with this, the seriousness of that thought so much that mm-hmm. that's what made me change. And at the same time, I also, for the first time in so long, had heard a voice that had been dormant in me for so long. And I, you know, it was like mm-hmm. the voice of hope. It was like my true soul essence coming through the cracks of the blackness within me. And it was like, mm-hmm. this is, this is not it, right? Like it, this is not it. And that just like overwhelmed me. Like, I think I can't even remember what I did after that, but I literally went home and called a counselor and booked myself into counseling. And that's when everything started to change for me. 
so beautiful. I'm tearing up. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is and- an emotional podcast. <laughs> I love it. I'm like obsessed, but it's like, it's deep. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's, it's, it's so beautiful because man, I was so angry for such a long time thinking like, why would God do this to me? Like literally, why would God, the universe, angel, mm-hmm. spirit, whatever, why would they forsake me? what is it about me? What have I done wrong? Like I invest, like, I was like, do I need to look into my past lives? Like I'm like in all inside my head. And it's so true that the way that I imagined it in my, in inside my head, which Mm -hmm. was the first time that I really had a moment where it was like, you need to get in your head. You need Mm -hmm. to get inside your head. And I know that's a very scary place for a lot of people to be because so often like the world is like, get out of your head, get out of your head and get into your heart. And it's like, well, they're both connected. So like if you, if your heart is breaking, then it could be that you're avoiding something in your head. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. That's so good. There's something in there that you're not penetrating, something in there that you're not allowing. Uh And I love that. Like the true essence how you said it, it's beautiful because that's almost what happened. I imagined it as being like, you know, an attic, really, really dark. And in Uh the corner of the attic was a little tiny birthday candle that was just sitting there flickering. Like I've been waiting for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally what it was, what it was like. And the, the thing is, and I think this is so important for people to remember in those dark times, if you can, the moment yeah. that you're ready to remember it, like, please remember these words because that soul essence, like that flicker of hope, that light is in within all of us. And yeah. there was a time possibly in your life where you can remember having it. It's the, it's the energy of possibility. It's the energy of um, openness, of excitement, of joy in your life. Like that energy is a part of who we are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it just gets a little dark because we like, you know, we put, put too many things on top of that light and we put all these expectations and we go into these spirals. Like I think the way that you um, worded how it goes on in our mind. Like we create all these scenarios of what it's like. And, um, you know what, it, and it was the same with me. It was like my mom, she just like moved and in my head. I'm just like, my family's abandoned me. I'm like, you know, like I'm going into this full, like I'm never going to see my family again. And like all these things in my head because I was so in it. Right. But it's like that whole time that light was there. And, and yeah, I don't know if it's the moment that you scare yourself enough that light shows up again or, you know, or what it is, but it's like, um, it's, it's crazy. Like that, that light is there and it's always been there and it's always going to be there for you. Yes. And it's so beautiful too, because it's, it is you. Yeah. It's you when you know yourself, it's you when you trust yourself, it's you when you love yourself, it's you when you believe in yourself. And so often we operate under the mindset of, well, I have to do for others, right? Be there yeah. for them, love them, really take on their crap and help sift through it with them. But it's in doing that for yourself that you're actually already doing that for them. Yeah it's you finding your light and owning your light. And that's where I got stuck in my struggle of like, Oh, I can't possibly share what I'm going through because it's so heavy. It's uh-huh. so, you know, intense. And it's so, you know, it makes, it, it makes me look this way or seem this way. And uh-huh. nobody wants that. And going through the mindset work of realizing what my light is all about 
And I actually have a program on this called Shadow Work Academy where I walk people through their shadows so they can find their light again yeah. or reacclimate to it and integrate it because your shadow is not separate from you. Yep. My shadow is who I am. My light is also who I am. And when I integrated those two things, I was able to see that I'm an intense person and I like it. And I have all the feelings and I really like it. And sometimes I'm heavy and sometimes I'm light and sometimes I'm soft and sometimes I'm sour. And you know, it's like, it's, it's this beautiful, multi-layered, complex thing of being a human. And I think that we feel like we need to be linear. We need Mm -hmm. to be paint by numbers. We need to be digestible and we need to be validated. Mm -hmm. And going through everything that I went through and mind you, I denounced God. I denounced religion. I denounced all of it. You forsake me, motherfucker. I'll forsake you. How about Mm -hmm. them apples? I was so angry. That's where I was. And then on the other side of it, I realized that I had just been given a spiritual experience. Yeah. Wow. where I got to know myself in an implicit way where nobody else could, nobody else could shake me because yeah. the only person that can shake me to the core is me. And I've done it. And I've, I look at it as like, I've danced with the devil. I've laid down in the gutter with my pain and I'm not afraid of it. It yeah. teaches me. So fear doesn't scare me. Anger doesn't scare me. Judgment doesn't scare me because I know what my light is about. And as long as I know what my light is about, then I know myself and I can give love freely to anybody that's willing to accept it. Oh, oh my gosh, Shannon, you are the friggin' best person I know. Like, I love you. I love you. (laughs) uh, I mean, I honestly, like you said, this is going to be an eight hour podcast of buckling people. (laughs) I'm I'm guessing we're just going to have to do a part two sometime because this has like been, I feel like just the tip of the iceberg of all of the epicness that you could share and we could talk about. Um, but there's been so many incredible takeaways from this. Like I'm here, like having all of these like emotional revelations and like feeling so inspired by this. So thank you so much for sharing so openly. Thank you so much for letting me be here and giving me the platform to do so. I appreciate it so much. Yes. You're most welcome. So for everyone to like BFF you, like how can they find you and where can they connect with you and where can they buy your book? (laughs) Well, I'm currently accepting BFF, so it's a good thing you brought that up. Um, But you can find me on lifewithshannon.com, which is my website where you can learn how to coach with me. You can learn about my Shadow Work Academy program, and you can just learn about me in general. I put blogs up all the time, and I speak very liberally and freely. Um, You can find me on Instagram at Shannon Wooten. I love playing around in my stories. Um, Instagram is my most favorite place to play around or on Facebook at Shannon Wooten where I typically go live and engage with you directly. And as for my book, you can buy it on Amazon. It is available with Amazon Prime everywhere in the world. Yay, just got that figured out. um, You can get it in paperback or you can get it in Kindle version as well. Oh my gosh. Okay. Amazing. And if you're listening right now and you've been touched by this episode or this has, you know, spoken to you, please screenshot it right now and upload it on your Instagram story and tag both of us so we can like feel that little like hot flutter of excitement when we see that people are getting value from this. Yes, please do. Yeah. So thank you again so much, Shannon. Like I can't even about this, like everything that we've talked about. It's been so good. Um, And yeah just a huge huge 
big virtual hug to you and to the listeners I love you like thank you for being here thank you as well for um, you know being in this space with us where we can speak so vulnerably and taking this on board and you could be literally anywhere you're here listening to this and I love you for it and I will see you again next week bye